Uh, let me tell you about, you know, so I, I used to be a worship leader. I was a worship leader for, um, you know, 15 plus years. I was a worship leader here for uh, over 10 of those. Um, and, and sometimes when you lead worship, you, you do, you just call them gigs, you know, you do a gig with, with another organization. And sometimes when that happens, you know, you don't know the preacher. Like, so Mark uh, McNeese and I, who was our founding pastor, like Mark and I worked out a really good rhythm where I kind of knew Mark's uh, tendencies as a teacher. He knew my tendencies as a, as a musician. But sometimes you work with somebody you don't know. And, uh, and that can be a little bit of fly by the seat of your pants. And so years ago, I used to be involved uh, in the summer um, with this organization called Love at Work. And it, it's uh, an organization that's run out of another area church. And we've actually participated in Love at Work, where we go over to Gretna and uh, the Quincy area, and we just work on people's houses that, that can't really afford to make renovations. And they take kids over there, and it's, it's awesome. Uh, and the kids go out and work all day in, like, July, right? This is not a cushy camp. And uh, they come back, and then there's always a time of worship and teaching. And I was leading the music one year. And they had this, this guy that, that I worked with was a, was a teacher. And uh, we, the kids came back from working. And I mean, look, they're high school kids. They're already full of attitude, right? They're already lazy. But take a high school kid that's actually gone out and worked for like four to six hours in the July heat. They're dragging, you know? They're just, oh. And, um, and I, I played some songs and we sang them together. And then the teacher stood up and, 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 I was shocked because he, what, what he started to do was he started to kind of push on these kids. And he started to say, like, do you guys, like, really challenge him? Do you really know what you're teaching about or what you're singing about? You just sang all these words. And do you really know what you're singing about? And I'm sitting there, uh, and I'm a little bit shocked. And uh, as in my whole time as a worship leader, I've, I've only had to, like, correct a teacher um, just a couple times. But I was sitting there watching these kids that had just spent four hours, six hours in the sun building, like, uh, building ramps, wheelchair ramps for people, standing up on people's roofs in the heat. And this guy's like kind of pushing on them and saying, well, I don't really know if you really believe what it is you're singing. I'm like, bro, they were just out in the July northern Florida heat. They're not going to do that naturally. They believed in something to get them out there. And, uh, and so I kind of very gently in an Eric way, like redirected that talk after he was done because I'm like, I'm like, these poor kids, like why would you pick on them? That's the way I took it. It's important because we're going to talk today about is about the role of service, and we're going to do it through a really, really, uh, in a way, minor character uh, in in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospels in general. It's a guy named Simon of Cyrene, and you heard his name referenced when Katrina read it. I'm going to reread the scripture that she read just real quick to just kind of. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read the actual part. That involves Simon, which is Matthew 27, verse 32. As they were going out, they found Simon, a man from Cyrene, and they forced him to carry Jesus' cross. They forced him to carry his cross. 
That is almost the extent of Simon's story in the Bible. Some of the other gospels have a little bit more information, which we're actually going to talk about. So he's a really obscure guy. And uh, as I was prepping the series, I was just kind of looking through Matthew 26 and 27. I was looking at the figures who see Jesus. That's the whole premise of this series is who sees Jesus before his crucifixion? How do they react to him? How does it affect their lives? And then how do we connect with them? So as I was going through, man, I was like, man, Simon. Something just drew me to him. I'm like, not a lot of information, but let's just see what happens. So what I want to do is give you a little bit of a, a context of, of what's going on. And then I want to talk to you about why I think he's important. I want to talk to you about why I think he's in the Bible in that verse. And I think it's some pretty interesting stuff. First, first of all, it says he's from Cyrene, a little map of where Cyrene is. That's the red dot. Uh, it's northern modern Libya, all right? And Jerusalem over there uh, east of, of Cyrene. Cyrene has a very large population of Jewish people at this time, about 100,000 people. It's a major center of, of the Jewish faith and the Jewish culture. And Simon uh, is in Jerusalem. And we don't know if he lives in Jerusalem, but he was from Cyrene, or if he's living in Cyrene and has made the journey because uh, it's what they call a festival time in Jerusalem. And all Jews for, these, for certain festivals were supposed to come to Jerusalem. So at any rate, Simon is there. Uh, I actually have a little picture. There's actually ruins in Cyrene. That's modern. That's what it looks like right now. Uh, so there's still stuff there. Um, you know, it's in northern Libya. So Simon's probably a pretty dark-skinned guy, just to kind of get you a picture of like who he would have been and what's going on. And uh, Jesus is being led to the place where they're going to crucify him. And when the Romans did this, you had to carry part of your cross. It's part of the humiliation. Crucifixion is like one of the most humiliating ways that the Romans could kill a person. And part of the humiliation was, hey, carry your own instrument of torture. So the cross piece, you know, a, cro a crucifixion cross had a place uh, that was up and down that was usually waiting for the, for the guilty party. But the cross piece they had to carry weighed about 100 pounds. Now, Jesus has already been whipped uh, brutally. Most likely, I don't want to get too graphic here, most likely he's covered in blood from head to toe. And, uh, and, and most, uh, sometimes the whipping and the beating itself would kill the person. But for the Romans, that was not, they didn't want that. They wanted the person alive when they went up on that cross. Because why? Because part of it is hum humiliation. So Jesus is really weak. He's really weak. He's been beaten and whipped and uh, taunted and spit on. And he's going to the place of his crucifixion, and they go by uh, this guy, Simon, and, and Jesus can no longer carry his cross. He's too weak. But the Romans are like, well, we could have him keep carrying it, but he might just collapse and die. And we want him alive when we put him on that cross. And so what really happened here is that probably they just see Simon a face in the crowd. And they probably just went over and said, get out here. They might have beaten Simon. And they said, pick it up and carry it. So Simon from Cyrene carries Jesus's cross to the place of his crucifixion. 
Now, uh, now to, to understand one of the major significant points of this, I want to show you um, a little phrase that we've touched on with uh, Jesus, and it's one of the central sayings of Jesus. It happens in Matthew chapter 16, Mark chapter 8, and Luke. We have four Gospels. Um, this happens in three of them. Jesus says, makes a remark about a cross. And it's some version of this. Look, anybody who wants to be my disciple, anybody who wants to follow me, you have to do what? You got to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. It's one of the central things of his teaching. And it's one of the central things that the disciples just can't wrap their heads around. Wait a minute, Jesus. Like, pick up an instrument of torture? Like, long before the cross was jewelry, it was a symbol of the ultimate power of the Roman Empire, the ultimate power of the state to torture, humiliate, and execute people. And so Jesus says, look, you got to pick up your cross and follow me. And so as I was thinking about it, and as I was trying to kind of get, uh, get a thought planted in your head, the thought, the phrase that came into mind was, look, um, so what is Jesus saying? What do disciples do? Disciples carry crosses. It's one of those basic things Jesus teaches. If you want to follow me, if you want to be a disciple, you have to carry your cross. But you know what's funny about that saying? None of Jesus' disciples that we know of ever pick up a cross. Not a one of them. Now, maybe they do, and the Bible just doesn't tell us about it. Peter's crucified, so you could say maybe at the end of his life, uh, Peter uh, does carry a cross, but we're not told about it in the Bible. So Jesus says, look, if you're a disciple, you got to carry a cross. But on the other hand, none of his disciples in the Bible ever pick up a cross and carry it. So let me, let me push on this just a little more. For the past few weeks, we've been going through these different people who interact with Jesus. And what I want to do is just lay out the comparison of everybody we've looked at. So, the, so weeks ago, Pastor Lori walked us through this woman, uh, maybe called Mary. She is a follower of Jesus. Now, she doesn't carry his cross. But out of all of the disciples at the end of Matthew, She's the only one that understands where Jesus is really going, and she embraces it. She gets it. Jesus is going to his death. And so she anoints him for burial. She doesn't pick up a cross, but she at least gets what Jesus has been trying to tell his disciples. Now, the next week we looked at a guy named Judas. He is one of the 12, one of the core. In our language, Jesus was, or Judas was all in for Jesus. But he betrayed him, turned him over to the, the, the chief leaders, the chief priests of the Jewish nation. And uh, when he discovers what he's done, you know, we, he's so sorrowful that he takes his own life. Judas certainly never picks up a cross. Last week, you looked at Peter. He is the inner core. He is all in in the all in group. One of the three closest friends that Jesus has. And last week, we looked at the fact that he not only denies Jesus, but he actually curses Jesus. He says anathema to Jesus. And yet somehow, he ends up as a leader of, of the church. He ends up embracing the cross in a metaphorical level. Like I said, maybe at the end of his life, he carries it. But in the Gospels, none of these disciples ever pick up a cross. 
So Jesus says, what did disciples do? They carry crosses, but none of Jesus' disciples carry a cross. But then you come to this guy, Simon. And I think it's significant. You see, we're pretty sure that Simon is not a follower of Jesus. He's not been all in. He's certainly not one of the 12, and he's certainly not one of the three. He is just on the road to the place of crucifixion. Maybe he's, maybe he's around Jesus for three minutes. Who knows how long that, that parade route is. And Jesus certainly is not teaching. He can barely walk. He's certainly not performing any miracles. And in fact, Simon doesn't volunteer. Like, mo like I said, most likely he's conscripted by the Romans and pulled out. And this man that has not been a follower yet and has just seen Jesus briefly and is not even volunteering, he is the only one in the Gospels that actually carries a cross. Now, we don't know a lot about Simon's future. I'm going to make some suggestions at the end because there's some hints. But what I'm going to do is just spend a few minutes exploring the significance of that. Now, I thought I'd come at it this way. Uh, some of you guys, most of us actually, if you've grown up in North America, you may have grown up around uh, a faith tribe or, or, or different environments where people really make a big deal about right belief about Jesus. Look, you've got to believe the right things about Jesus. You've got to make sure that, that you understand kind of who he is and what happened on the cross and the fact that you're forgiven. And these are all very, very, very important things. Like This is not to at all say that that's not important. But if you've grown up in North America, sometimes you get drilled, you get the belief part drilled in. And you don't realize or remember, or no one ever told you, but look, actually, when Jesus, when push came to shove, Jesus said, disciples do things. They don't just think about the cross and what it meant. They're supposed to pick it up. They're supposed to be active. They're supposed to carry crosses, not just think the right things about them. Now, none of his disciples ever do, but Simon does. And I think this, the reason this is really important for us is as I've gone through my life, um, one of the things that I've learned is that sometimes I struggle. Um, well, let me just say it. The Christian life is hard. Anybody ever like actually try to live this thing? Like it's not easy to be kind and compassionate to everybody. It's not easy to be loving all the time. It's not easy to have a radical trust in God so that you're like, man, anything that comes my way today, God, I'm all right. I'm all right. It's not easy. But what I want to suggest to you today is that some of, us can, some of us don't make our faith life any easier because we get hung up on trying to, what I would call, believe our way into right acting. What Simon does is sometimes remind me that we need to act our way into right believing. And this is entirely Jewish, by the way. Like Jesus, if you actually read his words and read the words of the Bible, uh, Jesus is constantly saying, look, it's, it's not enough to just believe things about me. You have to go and do. Jesus is advocating a go and do method of faith. 
And I know I've sat with, with people from this community and sometimes we get stuck and we're like, man, I just feel like my faith is dry. I feel like I'm not doing anything. And then sometimes if I'm in the right frame of mind and I'm thinking, well, I'll go, um, so like, are you serving anywhere? Well, no, you know. I uh, like, what are you doing? Well, I'm just kind of hanging out and waiting for Jesus to like zap me with the right knowledge thing so I feel something in my heart. What I've found, because I've lived this life and I stumble and struggle sometimes, is that what I actually need to do is activate my faith. And I need to just find a place to serve. And when I do that, I actually start seeing Jesus more clearly than I would when, than when I only sit by myself and pray. Christianity, following Jesus, is a go and do proposition. Let me show you. Like, if you don't believe me, maybe you'll believe Jesus. That's a little bit of a joke, but... So listen to what Jesus tells his disciples earlier in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus sets it up this way. Remember, Jesus is Jewish. And, uh, and the Jews have something called the law or the instruction, the Torah. Starts with the Ten Commandments and expands about how do you construct a life oriented towards God? How do you live out the life that God has for you? And so Jesus talks about that here in Matthew 5, verse 17. Jesus says, look, don't begin to think that I've come away to do with the law, the instruction, and the prophets. I haven't come to do away with them, but to fulfill them. Jesus says, I say to you very seriously that as long as heaven and earth exist, neither the smallest letter nor even the smallest stroke of a pen will be erased from the law, the instruction. How do you live? Not just how do you think about God, but how do you live about God? Jesus said, it's not going to pass away. I fulfilled it. And then he says, therefore, whoever ignores one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called the lowest in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps these commands and teaches people to, to keep them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. If you've ever read the Ten Commandments, like on the one hand, they're really basic. On the other hand, like we can't even get those right. And the Ten Commandments are split five and five. Five things that you do to get your life right with God, but guess what? Five things that you do to make your life right with other people. And then the, the instructions that the Jewish people follow just expand on that. And they're like, look, if you've, blown, if you've blown a relationship, you need to go and make that right. You don't just think about, oh, I'm just going to think that relationship to the right place. No, you go. You go. You want to live a God-word life, the Torah says, you don't just think about God. You don't just learn the right thoughts about him. You serve his people and the world that he loves. Jesus says uh, again in Matthew 6, I love this little, little one verse thing. Be careful that you don't practice your religion in front of people to do their attention. The phrase that is operative to me right there is he says, don't be careful that you don't practice your religion. What that says is that Jesus is expecting you to practice your religion. That's, a, that's an actual technical term in the Jewish faith. 
Acts of faith involves giving. It involves service. And Jesus says, look, when, not if, when, when, when you do those things, don't do them in front of people just to get like a prize. But Jesus, I would suggest to you, says, make no mistakes. You should do them. It is a go and do, not just a stay and think religion. And the other folks in the New Testament echo Jesus. Uh, there's a guy named Paul who is an early uh, church leader. Paul says it this way. He starts off in, uh, in the, this letter to the church in Rome, and he just is unpacking like what it means to, uh, to follow God. He says it this way, starting in Romans 2, verse 13. It's not the ones who just hear the law who are righteous in God's eyes. It is the ones who what? Yeah. Yeah, that's what it says here to me too. It says, do what the law says, who will be treated as righteous. Gentiles who are just non-Jewish people, they don't have the law, but when they instinctively do what the law requires, they're a law in themselves, though they don't have it. So, so Paul's actually saying, look, there's people out there who aren't Jewish, but when they start acting like Jewish people, they must be Jewish. It's not just what you think. It is what are you doing with that knowledge? How are you responding to the world? So here's the way I would say it. Because remember, is Simon of Cyrene, from what we know, is he a disciple of Jesus in the traditional sense? I don't think so. Personally, I think he was a Jewish guy who came to Jerusalem on pilgrimage. But when the time came, even though he didn't even volunteer, he does, he does, he does the thing that Jesus has been saying, this is what my disciples do. They carry crosses. And here comes a guy who, do, who knows nothing about Jesus, has probably seen no miracles, and the Bible says he's the one who actually picks up the cross. Here's what the invitation is. Here's what the point is. That whole thing about believing the right things about, um, about Jesus, has every, anybody ever experienced that as a way to in include some people and exclude others? Have you ever been a part of a conversation or a community that said, oh, you, must, you have to believe these things, and if you believe these things, you are okay. If you're not sure yet, well, we're not too sure about you either. Anybody ever been a part of a community like that? What Simon's life and this little interaction says is that you can start following Jesus before you have it worked out in your head. In fact, serving might be the thing that helps you work out the right thinking about Jesus. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I know some of you will probably claim, look, I'm all in at E3 and I'm a Christ follower and I am, I am, I'm signed on to the Jesus Project. But some of you guys might be like, you know, I don't know. I don't even know if there's a God. First of all, we, we love that you're here. Where else would we have you go except a church to find out about God? I'm not going to send you to cable. So if you're here and you don't know, Welcome. But listen, are you serving? 
Because maybe the invitation here is like, for you, if you want to know more about this Jesus that some of us love and follow and give our lives to, maybe you should find a place to plug in. Let me say it this way. Whenever you serve a hurting person, you're taking steps of following Jesus. Whenever you get involved in a ministry that, that serves hungry people, we have a food pantry here. Whenever you help build a wheelchair ramp for somebody who can't build a wheelchair or can't build a ramp of their own, we, ha we have that ministry here. Guess what? Whenever you do that, you're taking steps on following Jesus. Whenever you sit down with a friend and just provide a listening space, you are taking steps to following Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean you don't have things to learn. It's, the point is you can start wherever you are at. Do not let what you don't know about Jesus be the barrier because Simon, I don't think, knew anything. And he saw Jesus. Anybody ever get like pushed into a service project? Like your friend just kind of roped you? Like, like you know, it's worse for Simon because the Roman soldiers should pick him up because you're going to do this thing. And Simon does it. And he takes steps. Um, and before I kind of unpack the last piece of Simon's life, I want, I want to just kind of make this as practical as I can be. We have this thing called myE3.org. It's the way you get really like online connected. We have two groups uh, on myE3. And you can join these groups just by finding them and clicking. Say, put me in this group. If you're not serving, you can serve in a ministry. You can serve in kids. You can serve uh, in hospitality. But if you want to also go out and do things in the community, you can join the Serve Tallahassee group every other Saturday, second and fourth Saturday. At this point, like over, well over 40 families are coming here for food. Think about that. You want to take, take steps on the Jesus road? What if you just kind of came here and were a part of helping hungry families eat? Service projects are, 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 the, are the way that like we get people uh, to go out and just build these ramps through Ability First, a local, a local organization. If you're not doing that, my challenge to you this morning is to sign up because guess what? We need volunteers and you get to take steps on following Jesus. And who knows what that's going to do to your life. You see, uh, Matthew leaves out one really interesting detail about Simon. And, and to show you that detail, we actually have to go to another gospel. We have to go to the gospel of Mark, uh, who wrote to, um, to a group of believers, we believe, uh, in Rome. And Mark records the same interaction that Matthew does, but he puts it this way, adds one little detail. Simon, a man from Cyrene, and then comma, Alexander and Rufus's father was coming in from the countryside and they forced him to carry his cross. Okay? The detail is Alexander and Rufus. And this is the way you, this is the way you study the Bible. You don't take anything for granted. So first you go, oh, well, okay, Simon had kids, you know? We don't know where his mother, we don't know where his wife or the mother was, but Simon had two sons, Alexander and Rufus. And then you go, why did Mark want us to know that? Very little is in the Bible that's accidental. So Mark, the guy who wrote that gospel, he's like, oh, oh, wait. 
This is Alexander and Rufus's father. And if you read the Bible as I do, what Mark is basically saying for his original audience is like, you guys know Alexander and Rufus. Mark's assuming that they know who Alexander and Rufus is. And he goes, it's those guys' dad. Now, why would Mark, why would that audience or that community know who Alexander and Rufus was? Because maybe, maybe, Maybe their dad saw this man beaten and bloodied in Jerusalem. Maybe he had never heard of Jesus of Nazareth, but maybe he took a few steps out there and carried this man's cross. And maybe there was something in, in the way Jesus was, or there was something in the experience that just turned Simon's life upside down. And then he went to his children and said, guys, we got to find out more about this Jesus. A few years back, some archaeologists found an ossuary. Uh, so what people in the ancient world did is they, when the uh, body of, of somebody who had died decayed enough, they would collect the bones and they would put them in little containers just to keep them around. And uh, they found this ossuary a few years back. And, and listen, you got to understand that names are, are common in the ancient world just like they're common now. But on this ossuary, it said, um, these are the bones of Alexander, the son of Simon. And so... Could there have been multiple Alexanders who had a dad named Simon? Absolutely. But maybe, just maybe, this was Alexander's bones. But there's more. You see that early church leader, that guy named Paul? He wrote this letter to the church of Rome, and he said, look, even when people who don't know Jesus yet, even when they're Gentiles, when they start behaving like Jews, they must be on the road to being Jews. At the end of that letter to the Romans, Paul always writes little greetings to the people that he knows there, because these are real people in the Bible. And listen to what Paul just mentions uh, in Romans 16, verse 13. He says, say hello to Rufus, who is an outstanding believer. Do we know that this is Rufus of Alexander and Rufus? Not for sure but there's a lot of dots that connect. There's a lot of dots that say, man, um, Rufus has shown up in, in Rome. Mark, the guy who includes Alexander and Rufus's name, Mark's gospel is traditionally associated with Rome. And Mark's saying, hey, remember Alexander and Rufus? It was their dad. And then Paul writes a letter to that same church. And he said, hey, say hi to Rufus. He's an outstanding believer. The point is, look, it doesn't matter where you're starting your journey from. It doesn't matter. Your life, not only your life, can be turned upside down by serving and taking steps down the Jesus road, but you can change the legacy of your entire family. You can have kids years from now, and be like, oh man, I, I, was, man I, was, I was acting sideways and crazy, and yet then I just started following Jesus, and now I'm grown up and my kids are following Jesus too. Oh, and, and they are outstanding believers. Any parents want that for their kids? Maybe you don't even have kids right now, but Jesus will change your life, not just because of what you know about him, but when you get out of these seats that are oh so comfortable and say, sign me 
up, even though I don't have it figured out. Amen? Amen. Um, every week we've been reading a confession together. And so we're going to bring this up, and we're going to read this together. And, uh, and then I have a couple more pieces of information to tell you. This is like announcement Sunday. But let's read this together. God, forgive us when we fall into the trap of thinking that following you is a simply a matter of thinking that right things about you rather than behaving in a way that reflects your love and character. Thank you that we can start following you from wherever we are at. Amen. 